Well, good morning to you. And there are many people who wish I would self-destruct, but there we are. Thanks so much to Kenny for introducing the service and to the band for the wonderful music and for Paul, excellent children's talk. Paul, thank you so much. I hope it's not copyright. Uh, we could well use that again at some stage. Lovely to be with you at some time since I've been here. Normally a good reason for that. He was absolutely hopeless the last time and didn't want to get us back. But it's uh, nice to see you again. You probably gathered from the uh, title this morning, Hold Fast. I've got an illustration for that, but first of all, let's do the important part. Let's read uh, God's Word. And as Kenny uh, rightfully said, it's 1 Kings chapter 19. We're breaking into what is a wonderful life story of Elijah. And if uh, you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, one of these characters who uh, appears fairly regularly in uh, children's talks and other issues, and he's uh, just one of these people we hold up in high regard. But here he is, 1 Kings 19, we're reading verses 1 through 9. It's uh, not a good time for Elijah. Here we are, God's word. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods, it's a small g there, deal with me, be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, a juniper tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And here's a phrase we'll come back to again. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? We'll come back to that too. What are you doing here? God's word, he'll bless it. We were able a few weeks ago to return to our beloved island of Skye, where we visit every year. And we always set ourselves two challenges when we visit Skye, having done so for several decades now. One is to find somewhere new to eat, and the other is a different walk to do. I've got the challenge of finding somewhere to eat, and we always manage that quite successfully. Agnes, my dear wife, who's with me today, unusually, but she's with me, she has a task of finding a new walk. And we found a new walk this year. It's in Dunvegan, if you know Skye at all. For years we have driven into Dunvegan from the road from Portree and there's a ruin of a church in the right-hand side, Kilmure Church, the ruins of. And we've always promised ourselves that we'd visit it. So this year, my dear wife found this walk called the Two Churches Walk, which starts off at one end of Dunvegan, goes round the back, stops at this old church and then comes back down into the village. So we did it. Not terribly stressful. But we went into the ruins of the church 
And it turns out that it's a very famous ruinous church because the McLeods of Dunvegan Castle fame, it's part of their burial ground. And there were, the only other two people there were two American tourists from Virginia. And they heard a Scots accent and they said, oh, you'll be Scottish, you'll know all about this. <laughs> and as I was about to wax lyrical and tell them probably a lot of nonsense, I got that look from my wife that said, don't you even think about it. <laughs> so I said, well, no, I'm sorry, I can't tell you too much about it, but there are castles along the road. I'm sure if you visit that, you'll find lots of it. But here's the thing. As we stood, the four of us in this old church, there was a stone embedded in the wall. And it was for Flora McLeod. She was born on the 3rd of February, 1878. She died on the 4th of November, 1976. And she was the 28th chief of the clan McLeod. Now engraved at the bottom were two words. And that's the theme of our talk this morning. Hiya folks, great to see you. You're welcome. Go and enjoy Sunday school, it's great. There were two words at the bottom of it. Hold fast. And these words have stuck with me ever since. As I looked around the other stones, there was the same two words. Hold fast. And so turning to our great intellectual friend that rhymes with doodle, I did it. And it turns out that hold fast is the clan motto of McLeod. And if your son name's McLeod, you already know that, of course. But that is their motto, hold fast. There's a gospel song that's sung by the Gettys that goes like this. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. I think where we are today, there are many who are struggling to hold fast. I don't just mean in Christian things, I mean in secular activity. How often we read of folks who are struggling to return to some form of activity, voluntary sector or work situations. But I'm thinking because we're in church, particularly about church, there are those who are struggling to hold fast because we've lost enthusiasm over the last months. We've lost the desire to meet together. We've lost the desire to worship together, to work together. We're not holding fast. And that's where we join Elijah this morning. Sitting under a tree, in a desert, and we'll find out how he got there in a few minutes. But remember, if you know the story at all, and if you don't, here's a very brief potted background. He was a very brave man. He'd stood before a king, King Ahab. He'd confronted false prophets in a mountain called Carmel. He'd challenged Jezebel, who was the atheist queen of the day. He'd prayed for withholding rain, and how I wish he was with me in sky that fortnight, but there we are. He'd prayed that fire would come down from heaven, and guess what? It all happened. This was Elijah. He also appears in the New Testament, Luke chapter 9. There's a remarkable story of a transfiguration on the top of a mountain with Moses, Elijah, and our lovely Lord Jesus. This was a real Bible hero. 
The local Bible school when Elijah lived would have him booked up. If he went to church, it would be three years in advance to get him there because he was such a tremendous communicator. And yet here he is under a tree saying, I've had it. Great man of faith, courage, prayer, faithfulness, service. What about us? Have we had it? Are we holding fast? That marriage is just hanging on by a thread? That work we're involved in, we feel we've actually given up. Are we holding fast? Then that lovely phrase that we read, and all at once, an angel touched him. Now, being a brethren boy, you would expect me to have quite a few points. And I've got five. Ten minutes each. And will work well. But here they are. Number one was this. It was a gracious touch. Think about that little story we read. Did you see what God did not do? He didn't touch him with punishment. After all that God had done for him, if you're aware of the story, you'll know this. If you're not, here's what happened. He'd been isolated at a little brook at Kerith. And birds came. Could you believe it? Birds, ravens came and brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And he survived. He'd been provided for through a widow at a little village called Zarapeth. And he ended up staying with her and she looked after him. He'd protected, been protected from Queen Jezebel. And he said his prayers answered supernaturally. But here he is, he's wallowing in self-pity. You know what God could have done? He said, okay, have it your own way, Elijah. I've done all this for you. He didn't experience the wonder-working power that we're singing about. Thank you for that, that. What a tremendous hymn. Because that was pre-Christ. Before the cross. But he'd known God in his life. And God could have said, well, if that's the way you feel, I'm finished with you. He could have killed him. That's what he wanted. Did you read it? I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better Manchester's. But you see, Elijah found, as you've probably found, as I certainly have found, that our God is not the God of just the first chance, but the second chance, the third chance, and the fourth chance. You agree with me? Our God is involved in our lives. Let me tell you about Rod. Rod's dad was a policeman, which is ironic due to the path Rod would take later in life. Growing up, Rod went to church regularly with his mum and dad and older sister. Church was a big part of their lives. Despite this, Rod never showed an interest in having a personal relationship with Jesus. He thought, would be, uh, thought being a Christian would be boring and sad. Many of our young folks think that. To cut a long story short, here's what happened. He lived an affluent lifestyle with his family in the island of Jersey. He got involved in drugs and money laundering, so much so that he ended up in prison. Here's what it said. Rod's family mum didn't stop praying, but things got worse before they got better. Ever experienced that? get worse before they get better and then in prison he saw a Gideon Bible it's now an organization called Good News for Everyone but he saw a Gideon Bible he looked at it and he wondered and he thought and he read it and he found Jesus he quite simply said if you're real come into my life and he cried out to God for forgiveness and asked Jesus to become his Lord and Savior have you done that? Have you found Jesus personally? Tremendous. 
After a few ups and downs, here's what happened. For the past decade, Rod has worked as an evangelist for the charity Christians Against Poverty and has had the privilege of personally leading over a thousand of their clients to the Lord. Amen. That's what our God does. Because you see, he's the God of the first, second, third chance. Are we still holding fast? The psalmist says in 103 verse 10, the Lord does not deal with us as our sins deserve. If he did, none of us would have a leg to stand on. We have a gracious God. So it was not a punishing touch, but it was a gracious touch. Then also it was a, it was a caring touch. There was something caring and gentle and loving and reassuring about it, wasn't it? Remember the days when our grandchildren, if we have any, used to run to us and want to hug us? Well, to grandma they did. And then they were running towards you and thought, oops, can't do that anymore. And then, of course, they did. Because they're not going to stop a grandchild running to a grandma and giving a big hug. Because they enjoy the assurance that that individual will do anything that they possibly can for them. Because they care because they love that's our God he cares for us he loves us no matter our circumstances out of the blue I recently received a text from a lady in the church there's a magazine which circulates around brethren churches called the believers magazine it was an article from 1966 this chap really needs to get a life but it was an article from 1966 and it was about my grandpa who I didn't really know terribly well. He had been out in the Canada, Vancouver, the Fraser River working the lumber yards in the early 1900s during a time of real depression here. And instead of doing all the things that other folks did, he went to the Salvation Army on the banks of the Fraser River and found Christ and came back to Scotland and hence our family history is what it is. But here's what it said about him in this little obituary in that magazine. He died when he was 75, just along the road in Garrah Hill. But before that, before Mr. Hitler did his worst to Clyde Bank and to move to the East End, he was in a little church called Summerfield Hall. It's a Brethren Gospel Hall at that time. And here's what it said about him. He was loved and respected for his kindly, caring words of encouragement. He never did this sort of thing, but he was at the door. And he was caring he was encouraging. It was a tap in the shoulder and saying, keep going. I don't think he would use the words hold fast, but he'd be saying that. Are we caring for others? Are we encouraging others? When was the last time he said to the band, band, thanks for that this morning. Tremendous. To our Sunday school teachers, have we said to them, guys, you're doing a great job. To Paul, who did the children's talk, Paul, that was pretty good, pal. Carry on. And to all the other myriad of activities that go on, are we encouraging and caring? You see, Hebrews 1 and 4 says this, angels are sent to care for God's elect. Could you be that angel? Here's a thought. But how did Elijah get here? Quite simply, he thought everybody was against him. Ever felt like that? Ever felt the world's against you? It's me, me, and me. That's how Elijah felt as he sat under that tree. He felt afraid, depressed, deserted, a failure. He hoped for great things and they hadn't happened. Rod's mum hoped for great things for years and didn't see it happen until he came to faith in prison. The story we read about. Of course, he wasn't alone. 
Some of the great followers of God felt like that. Job, custody of his birth. Jeremiah 20 verse 14, he custody he was born. David, the great David, he said, my tears have been my food day and night. When we get low, we say silly things, don't we? We become irrational. But it wasn't just a gracious or a caring touch. It was a practical touch. Did you notice that when the angel came to him, he didn't give him three points in the tabernacle? Do you notice that? He didn't say, I've got a seven-point sermon for you here, Elijah. I want you to listen very carefully to it. What he did do was, Elijah, you're tired and you're hungry. I'm going to sort that. So he gave him sleep. We quite regularly have our grandchildren for a sleepover. I'm going to refer that term to the Trades Descriptions Act. Over, yes. Sleep, no. You ever found that if you've got your grandchildren? Somehow they have the great ability to stay up very late and get up very early in the morning. I praise God when they come and pick them up and take them away in the morning and just know it's going to Because you see, sleep's important. I think the older you get, the really more you value sleep. But here was Elijah. Quite simply, he was exhausted. He'd been busy earnestly praying. Now, can I tell you? If we earnestly pray, it's tiring. It's actually exhausting when we wait before God for him to answer. So he'd been praying. He'd been executing prophets in Baal. And here's where his ultramarathon was. He ran 18 miles in front of Ahab's chariot. He ran another 90 miles south of Beersheba. He left his servant there and went another 20 miles into the desert. He was physically exhausted. Quite simply, he needed food and drink. Our middle son, Alan, tends to do these sort of things and runs great marathons, not just around the streets of Glasgow, but up hills and down. And I simply say to him, son, why? But he does. He comes back at the end of it and thinks, the day after, that was great. Here was Elijah, physically exhausted. And what does our God do? At just the right time, he comes and gives him food and drink. You know, there are times, and I say this to church workers and folks involved in church activities, there are times when we need to say no and have the danger of being misunderstood. Because you see, we can take on do much. My motto, both in business and in church life, is this, do less better. And God will honor that. And there are times we need to take a holiday, time to be refreshed, I'm no medic, but apparently they say exercise and sleep and diet go a long, long way to solving a few problems. So it was very much a practical touch. Here's the second last one. It was a personal touch. We've missed that, haven't we? Our church in Straven's quite a huggy church. Some folks like that, some folks don't. That's okay. That's what, we haven't been doing that. I met a fellow for, for lunch a couple of weeks ago in West George Street. That was big in the news over the weekend. You would see that. that uh, they passed by our office on Friday, and there was thousands upon thousands. It was all good nature, I'm glad to say. But I met this fellow in West George Street, and the first thing he did was put his hand out and shook his hands, and as we're standing there shaking hands together, he said, are you happy with this? And I said, not a problem. Here's the interesting thing. As soon as we got to the restaurant, both of us went to the hand sanitizer and went like that fairly quickly. But you see, we've missed that. The personal bit about it. 
How good it is just to put your arm around somebody, either metaphorically or physically, and show them you care. That's what was happening here. Now, I don't think for a moment this was an angel with bright wings and shining lights. Not a bit of it. I believe it was an ordinary human form like you and like I. The Bible backs that up, actually. Abraham had some folks for a meal in his front garden. You'll find it in Genesis 18. Three strangers turned out to be angels. One of them, we believe, may well have been the Lord Jesus. God could have provided all of that just with a word, but he wanted somebody to get alongside him and be with him. God wanted to redeem us, so he sent his own son to die in Calvary, to be crucified, and to be raised again so that we could enjoy the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus. That's how personal our God is and how real our faith is to him. Some have experienced that. We don't have time to talk about a few stories of folks who literally have experienced angel visits in their own circumstances. But I don't discount anything. God is a wonderful God. And so, touch him an arm. An arm round, a word, a text, an email, a card, whatever it might be. You could be that angel to somebody, giving the personal touch. And then lastly, it was a purposeful touch. So there we are, that's what we've got. We've got the uh, gracious touch, we've got the caring touch, we've got the practical touch, the personal, and now the purposeful. God gets alongside him because God wasn't finished with him yet. And you know the great thing, folks, as we sit in church this morning, God's not finished with us yet. He still has something for us to do and something for us to say. Because he gave Elijah a new commission. Verses 10 to 18, it's a great read when you go on to it. You see, we need the tenderness of God and we need to see his greatness here again. We sing that lovely chorus with the youngsters. Our God is a great big God. He's higher than the skyscraper. He's deeper than the deepest sea. Of course he is. There's great theology in that. Our God is a great big God and he wants to give us a new purpose. And when you read that bit at some stage, you'll find that God didn't speak in the noise. When Elijah said, actually, God, there's only me left, I'm on my own. God gently comes alongside him and says, Elijah, there's another 7,000 out there who haven't bowed to my name. Folks, can I tell you, there are many Christians out there who we can enjoy fellowship with. 7,000 or however many it might be. We think the church is really struggling. God's in the move. And we can be part of that. He gave him a new commission. But in 1915, he said this, Elijah, go back the way you came. Sometimes we need to go back and find a point where we found Jesus the first time to be reinvigorated with our faith. And I just wonder if we're holding fast this morning. Holding fast to that faith that we probably found many, many years ago. Are we sticking with it? Are we holding fast? Are we like Elijah under that tree saying, I've had enough? I hope not. Be reinvigorated by these wonderful words that we sung earlier. The wonder-working power of Jesus. What he did for us on the cross. Look at him again. Find out and re-enjoy the faith that we have in him. 
and keep, as the words in that gravestone said, hold fast and keep going and focus on our gracious God. Amen. We're going to move into communion. You should have been given one of these uh, little capsules as you come in. If for any reason you haven't, just please raise your hand and somebody will come and give you one. And uh, I suspect most of us know what's here, but it could just be you're visiting church this morning. There are two little tabs here. The top one is the, uh, for the bread, a little wafer. The bottom one is for the wine. This very day in Straven, there's an event happening in the Common Green. And it's to unveil a statue to a dog. And this week we'll hear the phrase, we will remember them on many, many occasions, and very poignantly so. We'll hear it on our TV screens, we'll see it at football matches, we'll hear it in schools, we will remember them. My life has been spent around tenement buildings, and some years ago, Agnes and I were in a little flat in Partick, and the flat was completely bare, and we were looking at it, wondering what to do. She noticed a little bulge under the carpet, and this is what she found. A little army New Testament from the 6th Battalion at Cameroons at Rifles. Interestingly enough, that's the same battalion that's been remembered in Straven at lunchtime today when they unveil this, uh, this statue of a dog. There was an article about it in the Herald yesterday. If you caught that on page 13 of the Herald, it's all there. The Cameroons. The fellow who discarded his testament in that flat some years ago, on the inside cover, he'd written a list of places he visited during the Second World War. It starts in Hamilton. It goes down through England into France, Cherbourg, Amiens, Perv, Cherbourg, St. Germain, and then back through Scotland. I don't know if he ever read this testament. I glanced through it, and the family are all gone, so there was nobody to give it back to. But I'm going to use it as we lead into communion. We will remember them. We're grateful to those who served and gave. And we come to remember Jesus, who gave everything. Here's what he said. Jesus speaking. He took bread and gave thanks and break it. It's the King James Version that uh, the soldiers were given at that particular time. Gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood which is shed for you. The fellow who owned this Bible probably met the dog that's been and his Lance Corporal companion who had it during the Second World War because they were in the same battalion. A lovely story. We also have a great story to tell of Jesus who gave his life for us. And so if you know and if you love the Lord Jesus, I encourage you to share communion with us. We'll say thank you for the bread. And then we'll pray and say thank you for the wine. 
And after we pray for bread, we peel off, as you know, and take the wafer and do the same again for the wine. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in a week which is very poignant in our nation, we thank you for the freedom we enjoy because of those who gave so much. And we pause reverently this morning and say thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he gave his body so that we might live, sacrifice himself, so that we may enjoy faith in you and we pray that we would hold fast to you. And as we take bread now, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and Holy Spirit, won't you teach us more about that lovely name. We thank you for the bread in Jesus' name. Amen. as we take the wine together from the old believers hymn book when we see thee as the victim bound to the accursed tree for our guilt and folly stricken all our judgment borne by thee Lord we own with hearts adoring thou hast loved us unto blood glory glory everlasting be to thee thou Lamb of God gracious God for the blood Jesus shed for us, we say thank you. Sounds totally inadequate, but it's the words we use. We take and remember and worship in his lovely name. Amen. <laughs> 